How are you all beautiful people doing this morning? Peachy? It's a Sunday. Um, <clears throat> looking forward to what God's going to do this morning. So I want to pray. Um, if I haven't had the chance to meet you and you're a guest, my name is Scott. I have the privilege responsibility of pastoring, uh, novation, and also teaching this morning. So I want to go to God and get his grace for this so that we have the most impactful time that we can. So Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are, Jesus, who we are because of you. Make us aware of that today. Make us more aware of who you are and who we are because of you than when we inwardly look at ourselves and our, our shortcomings and, Lord, the messages that the world brings to us or, or others or the scars that, that we bear because of just life. Pray that you'd bring healing through your power today in every way. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, the creation story, in Genesis chapter 1, right? In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And he makes several statements in the creation story where he says, let there be. And when he comes to let there be light, when you read the story, it's, he said, let there be a great light, which was the sun, and a lesser light, which we know is, is the moon. And in, in God's geniusness of who he is, the master creator, he created the moon so that, yes, at nighttime, we, we, it's dark, so we can actually sleep, but it's not so dark. It's not pitch black. We can look up. We can see the stars. We can see the moon. Here's a picture of what the, a full moon looks like. The moon fascinates me for some reason. I remember walking out of church one time and thinking, that's the same moon that Abraham saw. That's the same moon, you know, that, that Adam and Eve would have seen, and just to think of, of that. Um, the next slide will show you how that's from the moon and how the sunlight shines upon the moon and illuminates light for us. And then you have different types of moons. You have, a, you know, sometimes we just get the crescent moon or a half moon, depending upon the, the cycle that we're in. And then sometimes there's this, the eclipse. Remember back in August of 2017, the world, we saw a, a full eclipse for the first time in like 350 years, and there won't be another one for 350 more years. There are actually an eclipse, partial eclipse happens every 18 months somewhere on the earth. Pretty cool, huh? So now for your science lesson and moving beyond your, your astronomy lesson, here's what I want you to remember in all of that, is I want you to remember that the moon's job is to reflect the light of the sun. That's its job. That's why God hung it where, where it is. That's its main job, is to reflect the light of the sun. God created you and I to reflect him, to reflect his image, to reflect his light, and so we're in this series called Mirrors, where we're looking at what is the job of a mirror? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? I have, you see yourselves? You look lovely. Sorry, I won't, don't want to shine light on somebody. Burn grasshoppers with a magnifying glass. Anybody do that? My bad. But the job of a mirror is to reflect the image, Right? And for the third week in a row, I still look tired when I look in this mirror. I'll get some sleep one day. But God created us to mirror him, that when he sees 
humanity, he would see himself, right? But if you remember from the first week, that image that God created us in has been shattered. I can kind of see myself. I don't look as tired in a shatter, but, you know, point being, that's, that's the image that when sin and death and shame entered into the world, that image was, was shattered. It's distorted. It's not the full image of God. And so that was God's intent for humanity. Sin and shame come in, shatter that image. Then comes Jesus, though. He is the full image of God. When you see him, you see the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. That's what he said. But if you want to know what humanity is supposed to be like, you also look at Jesus. I said last week, um, we're not just human. We're becoming human as followers of Jesus. We're becoming the type of people that Jesus wants us to be and who he's redeemed us to be. So today, if you feel like a broken image bearer of God, join the club right? When I sin, when I'm selfish, um, I am distorting the image of God. But when we're walking in who God is and, and walking by the Spirit and abiding in Jesus, then that image is now being restored. So it's important for us to remember that. I think a good way to kind of think it through is the broken image is seeking to do life independent of God. And so when I seek to do life independent of God, I'm not reflecting the image of God. But when we are seeking to be fully dependent upon God, that's when we're cooperating in this restoration process that he has. Um, so what we've been kind of doing is, is, is looking... Well, I want to read a verse to you first. As we are depending on God and we're surrendering our lives to him, this verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is what's happening. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So we're being transformed. That image is being renewed on a daily basis as we abide in Christ. And so we're kind of what we're this. The, crux of this series is we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit as given in Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says that if we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit will produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We can't produce that in ourselves. It's got to be the Holy Spirit doing that. But the reason as we're looking at each one of these fruit, the truth is, is God is each one of those fruits of the Spirit. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. God is patient. And so as we're going to make this as practical in our daily living and our discipleship to Jesus, we're looking at how is God this and how, how do I become joy? How do I become more patient? How do I become more kind? So today, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit as joy. How many could use a little joy, right? We all can. Joy is an important thing to understand. Fruit is not manufactured, right? I thought about bringing like some old plastic fruit or kid fruit and like, yeah, it looks sort of like fruit from a distance, but it's manufactured. Real fruit is produced, right? It's produced naturally. And so think about that in our lives. So God is the most joyful being ever. Did you know that? 
We have such a warped idea of God sometimes that he's just this ticked off grandpa in the sky. And that's the way a lot of people see that. But God is so joyful. And why is he joyful? He's joyful because he does not need or depend upon anyone or anything to make him happy or joyful. He needs nothing. He's joyful within himself. And he wants us to have that joy. Years ago, God, as actually when I first started walking with Jesus, um, I remember this as plain as it was yesterday where God showed me he's a joyful God. I was, uh, you know, in the Christian world, we come up with our little Christian things sometimes, like a quiet time, right? And quiet times are great. We should spend time pursuing the Lord and the Word and in prayer, of course. But it shouldn't be a duty, it should be a delight. And when you don't have spend time with the Lord, it should be like missing out on a good time with someone you, you, you love and you, that you like to be with. That's the way God wants us to see that, not as a chore. I get it. It takes discipline. But on this particular day, young in my walk, I was uh, watching a Nuggets game. I was by myself. And halftime came in the game that I was watching, and I had this thought, I haven't done my quiet time today. I was like, okay, well, I'll shut the TV off, and I'll have a quiet time on halftime. <laughs> Shows how spiritual I am, right? And, and I, remember, I remember, shut the TV off, okay, I'm going to focus on the Lord, and I'm going I'm to get in this posture of prayer, and then I'll, I'll read the Word and get back to my game. And I'm just being real. And I remember I got in this posture of like kind of piet, pietistic posture that I was going to, and I really felt like the Lord goes, okay, let's do this, let's, let's do this. That he kind of like, like teased me a little bit. Like, oh, okay, Scott, let's get all holy. And, and, and I started laughing uncontrollably by myself for about five minutes of just crying where I felt like, like I saw a side of the Lord that I didn't, didn't know or hadn't experienced. He's joyful. He's not all serious all the time the way we try to make him be. He's joyful in who he is. It was a great experience for me. Um, to realize, obviously, we take the Lord serious, but we, we have laughter and things like that because we're created in his image, right? We're reflecting him. So the thing to remember about joy is joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is based on circumstances. So happy can come and go. Joy is this. Joy is the conviction it's something you're convinced of that God loves you, that he's good, and that he's sovereign over all things. That's where the heart of joy really comes from. It is, it is a choice, too. Just like we talked about last week, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Choose joy. Choose that conviction that God loves you, he's good, and that he is working all things together for good. So how do we develop joy in our life? If it's a fruit of the Spirit, how do we develop it? If it's a conviction, just like the convictions you build your life on today has taken time to some degree to build that conviction on on what you have about some view of life. Well, picture joy today as like a muscle. It's a muscle that needs to be exercised and developed and strengthened. And today, your joy muscle might feel very weak and, 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 and flabby or, or just non-existent. But today, I believe God wants you to experience 
joy and learn how to go away from here and say, you know what, I can do this. So the first thing I want you to write down, I'm going to give you four, four things from Scripture on how to develop your joy. And the first one is defy your difficult circumstances through his promises. Defy your difficult circumstances through his promises. God has made some amazing promises, and they're yes and amen in the person of Jesus, we're told. So the word to defy has a negative connotation, but also has the positive one. And I mean the positive side that right out of the dictionary, to defy is to challenge a person to do something that seems impossible. You know, we always say that, like, they defied the odds. I remember in the sixth grade, um, 1980, I was in the sixth grade, and I remember, yes, I'm old, but so are some of you. Um, I just wanted to point that out um, in case you were wondering. But in the sixth grade was the year that the United States hockey team beat the Russians. Nobody could beat the Russians. And it was a bunch of our college amateur players playing against these professional Russians that they beat NHL teams. And if you remember, you know, they defied the odds at the very end. The announcer says, do you believe in miracles? In other words, they defied the odds. Like, this shouldn't be. They should have gotten beat. Well, they defied those odds. Maybe the Rockies will defy the odds this year once for me. I would love that. Like, maybe. I'll stick to preaching. Um, Some of you today, you're in some impossible circumstances whether it's a health problem, a relational problem, financial, whatever it is, some are in some deep, impossible-seeming circumstances, I believe God will challenge you to defy those circumstances. Here's what Jesus said in John 15. He said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Let me stop there just for a second. Doesn't that almost sound conditional? If you love me or you do this, then, then I'll love you. That's not at all what Jesus means. Jesus is saying, when you do what I say to do as my disciple, you'll understand my love. Just like any parent, you know, you teach your kids what's right and wrong, and, and maybe they don't do what's right and wrong, and, and then when they're in their 20s, they say, hey, you actually knew what you're talking about, Mom. You actually knew what you're talking about, Dad. Jesus is saying, if you do what I say to do, you'll understand my love. You, you will experience my love. He goes on to say, I have told you this so that my joy, the creator of the universe's joy, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's awesome. I want Jesus' joy in my life, and I know you do too. Jesus made some promises throughout, uh, you know, the Gospels. One of the promises he made isn't easy. He said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kind. But take courage, I've overcome the world. This isn't heaven, right? One of our biggest problems is we try to make life on earth heaven, and it's not. That's why it's a, there's a process going on in, in each one of us. But Jesus promised that in the midst of trials and sorrows, we can have joy. Because joy is not a feeling, and it's not dependent upon circumstances. It's that choice to know that God loves me. It's a conviction that God is good and is going to work all things together for good. The Apostle Paul and his companions understood having 
difficult circumstances, right? Paul was whipped, beaten, thrown in prison. He was stoned, not that kind of stoned. He was stoned with literal rocks and, 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 and bloodied and beaten for the gospel. Think about that. And here's what, here's what he says to the, the, the Corinthian church was, felt bad for Paul, and they would have been you know, praying for him. And he responds back to their concern, and he says, we are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Catch that? We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. That's a defiant joy right there. That's saying, I'm going to look at my circumstances, not through my feelings, but through these convictions. So how do you have defiant joy? The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 gives us three things. The first thing we need is we need to have a real hope. A real hope. Think about that. Hope is something, to have a real hope, it has to be in something that can't be taken away from you. Money can be taken away. Job can be lost. People, unfortunately, get taken away from us. But our hope is something that can't be taken away because it's the promise of eternal life. It's the promise that no matter what happens in this life, in the life to come, we have eternal life with Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Second thing we need is we need to know that God has a purpose in every circumstance. If you're in the middle of a difficulty, God didn't cause that difficulty, but he uses the difficulty, the trial, to grow your faith, to grow your, make your hope be more solid in what you're, what you're building your life on. No one is exempt to difficult circumstances. You're going to go through something in life that's difficult. Paul says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. In other words, your trials are like you going to the gym. Somebody that goes to the gym to get in shape physically, they put in the work, they put in the time. And when you go through trials and difficulties, your inward person is being strengthened. It's kind of like James in James chapter 1, he told his readers, consider it pure joy, right? When you go through various trials, etc., that it's producing in you a faith, a hope, a perseverance. So often we think to ourselves, if I could just get rid of my problems, then everything would be okay. We've all done that, right? Man, if I could just get rid of this problem, then I could have happiness and joy. Life would be, life would be better. But that's such a wrong statement, right? Because you're never going to not have some sort of problem in your life. It's like being at the airport. You're looking out the window, and you see a plane take off, right? And that, consider that 
the problems of 2019. Bye-bye problems. Something's coming in 20, <laughs> landing right in behind. A plane takes off, another one lands. So we don't get rid of our problems, so to speak. We persevere through them. Joy is learning how to enjoy life in spite of our circumstances. That's really the heart of joy. And then the third way to have defiant joy is we have to believe that he is always with us. We have to believe that he's always with us through every problem. Romans 5.11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We never go through anything alone, even though it does feel like it at times. You never go through anything alone. You never go anything without, without God being with you. So just remember that. To me, that equals joy in the, in the midst of those trials. All right, the, the second thing to develop joy in our life is delight yourself in the Lord daily. To delight yourself in, in the Lord daily. Take delight in Him. It's a discipline to delight yourself in the, in, in the Lord. It, but it's also a great way to fight sin. One of the best ways to fight sin is to delight yourself in the Lord. Sin holds out a promise that it'll make you happy, bring you pleasure, etc. God holds out a promise. Do things my way and you'll have lasting joy and true happiness. And so with the, if, when you rejoice in the Lord, you are choosing to, to a better thing than what else might be tempting you. So today, if you're struggling with temptation, with sin, learn to delight in the Lord. Believe that he's the better joy. He's he's the better thing to choose. And and when you do the right things, that's when you walk in joy. We're told in three spots that I have scriptures about rejoicing and delighting in the Lord. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Like Continue to do that. In the context of that, is about having peace in our lives and peace with one another. And then in the psalm, Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Not yesterday, not what the future holds, because we don't control either one of those. The past is the past. What's done is done. The future, we don't know. But today, choose today to rejoice in the Lord. And then Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Remember that that verse does not mean if I delight myself in the Lord, I'm going to get a Lamborghini. Like we can miss twist that scripture, right? Lamborghini would be nice, but what that scripture means, and this is so important, life-changing if you get this, delighting yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart means as I'm rejoicing and delighting in the Lord, then I can trust the desires of my heart. I can trust what's going on inside of me in the direction that God is taking me. Some of you wrestle, is this God's will or not? And what, what, what's God want to do with my life? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll be the one orchestrating the desires of your heart. Celebrate daily who he is. Celebrate daily of who you are because of him. Ephesians chapter 1, if you take a notes gives about, lists about 13 things about who we are in Christ right out the get-go, right? That we have every spiritual blessing from heaven in Christ, meaning everything that's Jesus's is ours in the, spirit, in the spiritual realm. 
and that we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're blameless, we're holy. We're all because of what Jesus did for us and who we are in him and because of him. So so do that. Just think about that on a daily basis. But also, I was thinking, how do you delight in the Lord? Celebrate him in his creation. I mean, if you think about the human body for a little bit, you know, I had my eye surgery, and the human eye is like such an intricate, like you've got a cam, two cameras in your head with telescopic lens, you know? It's crazy. God created that. He knows everything about us and how he wove us together. Get out in creation and, and get by a river. Go to the mountains, whatever. Go to the zoo, and you just see God in his creation, um, and the worship rises up on, inside of you. And when Kiko and Kelly, who are our friends from the Dominican Republic that we go down and do ministry with almost every year, we've gone down five times. Um, they came out to Colorado a couple years ago. They stayed with Seth and Danielle. And one day, Janelle and I took Kiko and Kelly up to the mountains. They're from the Caribbean. So all they've seen is the beauty of the turquoise water and, and sugarcane fields and all that, Right. We look at their turquoise ocean and go, oh, wow, man, you guys are so lucky you get to live by the ocean. But if you live by the ocean, you want to go to the mountains and go, whoa, I've never seen the mountains before. And that happened to them. They'd never been to the mountains. And we drove up, and the, the whole time they were just like, wow, wow. We saw right outside of Idaho Springs two bighorn sheep's ram heads. I've lived in Colorado all my life and never seen that before. And God orchestrates it right as we're driving. Like, Bam, oh, what else is going to happen, you know? And uh, we got to the other side of the Eisenhower Tunnel, and it was kind of just lightly that September sort of snow that w- wouldn't stick to the ground, but it was, it was actual snowflakes. And we pulled over, and they were like little kids just sticking their tongues out. And I thought, that's the way we should be in awe of who God is. That's how you delight in him. Delight in who he is, in his person. Delight in who he's made you to be, and delight in what he's created around us. Third thing, to to develop joy in our life, determine to have an attitude of gratitude. This is a hard one. If we were to record ourselves on a daily basis, the number of complaints versus the number of times I gave thanks for something or was grateful, I'm sorry, guys, boom for me, right? It's so easy to complain and we forget to be thankful on a daily basis for what God has for us. And Paul, the apostle in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, give thanks in some circumstances. He didn't say that, did he? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As Jesus' disciples, we are to give thanks in everything because thankfulness is a heart of trust. It's a heart of praise. It's, it's, it's a heart that, that trusts that God is working all things for good. It's not that we're supposed to be thankful for the circumstance. Don't confuse that. It's we're to be thankful what he's going to do in and through those circumstances. Um, in, in learning to be grateful, learning to, to celebrate God in the ordinary, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, For whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. Two pretty ordinary things, eating and drinking. And some of us, you might be kind of bored with life right now. You might 
be tired of changing diapers and wiping noses in that season. You might be in a job that's boring to you or, or whatever. But learning in these, in these ordinary things to be thankful for, it's a game changer. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read on spiritual growth is called The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. Anybody ever read that? Great book. And um, in this particular chapter, he was talking about this very thing of learning to celebrate, make life a celebration. And he was telling a story about how um, he was giving his young, like three-year-old, three or four-year-old daughter a bath. And he wanted to hurry up and get the bath over with so he could get to some me time on the couch with the remote and veg out. We're all guilty of that. Ordinary thing to give a, a child a bath, right? And so she was wanting to have fun with dad. This was kind of like being at the pool, you know, and, and she was like squirrely. And, and finally, she, she started doing this little dance. He called it the D-Daw dance. She was like going, D-Daw, D-Daw, D-Daw. And he goes, would you stop doing that? Stop doing the D-Daw dance so that we can, you know, I can dry you off. And she looked at him and she goes, why, daddy? He was cut to the core. I'm missing out on celebrating an ordinary thing when she's not going to be doing the D-Daw dance 10 years from now. She's going to be going to the, to the dance, the bye-bye dance, you know. And, and he said he sat there with her in the D-Daw. They did that together for like five minutes, and it was a real game changer. Well, we have those kind of moments in our life daily. How about, how about if we worked the way God works or we approached our work the way God approaches work to have joy? Work as unto the Lord for joy. When God worked and created in the creation story, we see that everything he did when he worked, he called it good. How about at the end of your work day? Can you call it good? Did you give your very best? Did you work as unto the Lord? Did the people you work for get your very best? Can you go home with a clean conscience and say, that was good, that was a good day's work? That's working the way God does, and that's going to produce joy in our lives because we have an attitude of gratitude. God, thank you for the finances that I make to pay bills. Thank you for being my provider. Fourth and last thing on developing joy in our life is, stay with me on this, demonstrate Jesus by pursuing joy in the joy of others. When you pursue your joy in the joy of others, that's when you're going to find what real joy is. Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed means happy, which is obviously a byproduct of joy. You will be more happy, you will be more joyful as you give than if you receive. And we honestly have that backwards. We gimme, gimme, gimme. Jesus is about, I'm going to give. It made me think of Hebrews 12 too, says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, right? So he had this vision beyond the pain, beyond the suffering, beyond what he was going to have of you and me that were going to be redeemed because of what he was going to go through. So he had a vision beyond the pain and the circumstances. We need to have a vision in our lives beyond the pain and circumstances of what God's going to do as we press through. So for the joy set before him, he, he, he gave his life. He endured the cross. Truth is, others-centered people are 
the most joyful and happy people because their joy doesn't depend upon people fulfilling them. Their joy depends upon them making life better for others. That's Jesus, right? In a nutshell. So three, three words to remember this by. Giving, serving, and sharing. Giving, serving, and sharing. Jesus models all of this for us. But learning to give, give away my life, give away my time, give away my talents, give away my treasures to make life better for others, to further God's kingdom. And then to serve. When you're serving, you're pursuing your joy in somebody else's making life better for somebody else. Like that, if we had that mindset, imagine if husband and wife woke up in the morning and said, how can I make life better for my spouse? Well, how can I make life better for you? Well, how can I outdo serve you? I mean, that's a good marriage right there. That's a good way to do life, whether you're married or not, is to be others-centered, pursue your joy in that. And sharing Jesus with people. There's no greater joy than to share Jesus and his love with someone who doesn't know him, someone who is broken, and you show them love, you're going to experience true joy. So as a way of kind of thinking this through, as we bring this to a head, how is your joy level this morning? Let's say if it was a scale of one to 10, how is your joy? Is it a two? Is it a nine? Somewhere in between? If your joy meter is low today, I, I promise you it's because you're looking for joy in your circumstances. You're looking for joy in what you feel. That's happiness. And happiness, again, we're going to feel sad. We're going to feel happy. Those are emotions. In spite of that, you can have joy when you're convinced that God loves you and you put into practice the kind of life that Jesus practiced and we center our lives around him, you know, we're, his, we're not Christians, we're his disciples, right? That's a more important word. And when he, you're his disciple, that means you're letting him call the shots in your life. That means what he says goes and you say yes to what he says to do. He's the, the Lord, he's the teacher. He's our savior first. But we, we have to say, you know what, I'm committing my life to do what Jesus tells me to do in my relationships, in all of my life. When you do that, you're going to become like him and experience joy we haven't, don't experience until we become that person. So will you stand with me? I want to pray. At the end of our time together, if anybody has a prayer need, maybe you're sick, maybe you need healing, or just something to, that you would like someone to agree with you in prayer over, our team will be up here. Feel free to make your way there, as well as if you are a guest with us, stop by the info table. We'd love to meet you. And if you just have questions about Jesus, we'd love to help. We're all in this thing together. We're an imperfect church following a perfect Savior. So, Father... You're the God of all joy. And so I thank you for that. And I, I pray this morning that you would develop that joy in us. God, that we would press in with defiant 
have that defiant joy because of who you are and what you've promised. God, I pray for those in this room that, that don't feel your joy. Lord, I pray you would pour out the Holy Spirit upon them fresh and new. Make their joy complete, Jesus, as you said, as we abide in you. A joy that's unspeakable, a joy that you can't describe other than it's, it's a conviction that we know that you love us, God. Lord, there's tons of needs in this room. You're the need meter. And I pray your blessing. I pray your grace. And I pray for all of us to put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, whether that be for the first time today or, God, that we just reaffirm our faith, hope, and trust in you. We love you. Amen.